Welcome everyone to Season 2, Episode 58 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yash Bika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, since it was the FA Cup weekend and the Carabao Cup games were just a little bit in the midweek, we are actually going to kind of pivot, talk a little bit about the FA Cup, but we're going to talk about the January transfer window, some of the early dealings that have happened. Obviously, right now as we're recording, it's January 9th, so... Not the full window, but there have been some stuff out there and, you know, clubs are looking to sign some players. But I would say some of the bigger news, not dealing, I guess, technically on the actual pitch, but a little bit of business dealing for Liverpool. They signed a new kit deal with Nike. The sponsorship, I believe, will start in the 2020 to 2021 season. Um, that is big news for Liverpool because obviously they right now are sponsored by New Balance. And having a big player like Nike come in and sponsor uh, a team that I would say is up and coming as in Liverpool. Obviously, they've hit the tra- trajectory of going upwards and they're like have found that plateau of being a really top team. So now Nike have a new club under their hands and for Liverpool that's big news because I think it's been a while since they've had a big sponsorship I think the last time they had it was Adidas correct Mm -hmm. yeah and back in the days when they had Adidas Adidas dropped them because Adidas thought that Liverpool weren't as big of a club anymore but now look at that Liverpool are one of the best if not the best team in the world now if you look at the team of the year starting 11 for I assume like EA you Mm -hmm. say you like Basically, most of the squad are Liverpool players. You see Van Dijk, Trent, you see Robertson, you see Mane, like literally, and Allison as well. It's like Nike yeah, is they, kind of just they the won gold the Champions right League. They also won the Champions League too, back to back Champions League appearances, and won it last year. Mm-hmm. And they're projected to win the Premier League this year yep. if everything goes right. And you know, nothing. And they're still they're still alive in all all not all competitions, but like you know, they have the FA Cup still there mm-hmm. as well. Exactly. And they also beat Everton in the FA Cup this past weekend, 1-0, with their backup squad. While Everton's Ooh. put their best starting 11 out. Yikes. It was not the best Merseyside derby to watch because it was so like it was so one-sided, basically. Where it's like Liverpool were putting so many players on the squad in that starting 11 that are basically on the U23 squad last season. Including Adam Lana. <laughs> Dang. You remember that. <laughs> yeah. But like literally the the game winner came from the central midfielder Curtis Jones. He yeah. scored a beauty of an upper ninety, like finesse shot from outside the box. It kinda came out of nowhere. But for Everton to lose to Liverpool's B squad, like that was that was a bad yeah. day to be an Everton fan. I think, but. I think I saw a stat that Everton hasn't beaten Liverpool at Anfield in a while now, right? It's definitely been years. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't know exactly when the last time was, maybe under Hodgson, Douglish, like, you know, before whenever when Everton and Liverpool were a little bit more even in terms of like their squads. But mm-hmm. right now it's just in a whole different worlds. But, you know, going back to the news of Liverpool getting this Nike sponsorship deal, this is gonna be big as a Liverpool fan because, you know, when Liverpool switched to Warrior and then eventually New Balance, the kits, I would say, kind of varied year to year. It's like either it was really good or it was really ugly. So for Nike, though, I feel like most of the most of the jerseys are a little bit more plain, a little bit more clean because mm-hmm. like they use the same kind of template. blueprint yeah, and the template across multiple teams. I really hope that doesn't happen with 
Liverpool yeah, I mean, because they're I, such a big team. I was gonna ask, do you think uh do you think they would get maybe a Barcelona treatment where they get more of a unique design, or is it still, you know, you know, I feel like PSG gets more of a unique design because they obviously they get like that Jordan sponsorship, but uh, with the other teams like Tottenham, Man City, obviously when they were still with Nike and a couple other, you know, Premier League, La Liga sides, and even German sides, I mean, kind of just looks like it's like the same same template. Do you see Liverpool getting a different treatment? I will say Liverpool does present Nike with a big business opportunity in terms of not only sponsoring the team with like more unique design, but also sponsoring certain players on the team. Like, say, Virgil van Dijk. I know he's one of the, not ambassadors, but one of the players that Nike does sponsor where you see him wearing, you know, some Nike attire. And one of the shoes I bought, like, one of the lifestyle shoes I bought, the Nike Air Max 270 Reacts, I just saw him wearing in in a post on Instagram. I was like, I got to get those now, man. He's, (laughs) my dude's wearing them. (laughs) And then, you know, like, little, little things like that is how they can also spread and get a little bit more profits there. But I think Nike will have, a big opportunity to, you know, really shape and critique or kind of like design their own kind of unique way into Liverpool if they do take this opportunity. Because right now, Liverpool are the biggest team on the market because mm-hmm. they're just literally winning everything and projected to still win everything. And, you know, they have one of the most iconic managers, too, and he just signed his new deal to stay at the club like last month. So I think with that, I think. Nike has a platform to, you know, rise with Liverpool, like how New Balance did this past few years. But I'm also curious because this also presents a new kind of platform for Liverpool in that it can also bring in some Nike-sponsored players. Like the the day that Nike sponsorship went out, there was a lot of links with Kylian Mbappe because Mbappe is one of the key players that Nike sponsors a lot and really publicizes. Mm-hmm. So... Neymar is also a Nike athlete. Yeah, too. Neymar as well, and then also Ronaldo. So I don't, I don't see Ronaldo coming to Liverpool, but hey, <laughs> you know, that'd be a huge move. And you know, I've been to Nike headquarters before personally, and like I've I've seen how they kind of treat like their star athletes, and Mbappe has literally like banners like around their headquarters. Just wow, you know, it's it's kind of insane. So for Mbappe to go to Liverpool. That would make Nike like a huge sum of money right there. So that's why I think there's like a lot of links and also just like in terms of like just the logistics and just sponsorships. I think that's why. And also for Mbappe, it'd be a huge step in his career because, you know, when you're at PSG, you can win as many trophies as you want because Liga is no is literally no competition. So it's just like a free trophy every year. It's just. If Mbappe wants to win the Champions League, I don't see him winning that at PSG, honestly. Mm-hmm. So maybe that would incentivize him to go to Liverpool. But would Liverpool want to spend the money on Mbappe when they already have this kind of squad? I'm not too sure. Yeah, it's a, it, that will be interesting to see. Um, I'm a little curious maybe how much money Liverpool will get in terms of affecting their transfer budget. Because, you know, with these big sponsorships, sometimes there could be a little bit of an influx of money. Maybe that can give them some more extra spending cash that they probably weren't getting with New Balance that they are now getting with the huge brand such as Nike. Um, And I'm also curious as well what type of players they can now recruit just by having the Nike logo. Uh, I I think that makes a little bit of a difference just because you do have that extra incentive 
that, you know, if you if you're trying to go for a Nike athlete, that could lead into some other deals. But then Liverpool signing a new kit deal with Nike at the probably the perfect time uh, for the way they're peaking right now. I think it's a really good business deal made by the uh, backroom staff at Liverpool. Uh, and it's it's really good for the fans of Liverpool, players and the whole team. So I'm really excited to see what type of design. I just wanted to ask you real quickly, what do you think their alternate jersey they will roll out for Liverpool? Because obviously, you know, you can't change the iconic red um, of their home kits. And, you know, obviously the way kits can vary a little bit. But what do you think their alternate uh, jersey could look like? There's actually already been a few leaks. Ooh, uh, like I'm official not ones? Sure. I'm not, they're not official, but usually even the unofficial ones are pretty accurate. But I mm-hmm. believe, I don't remember if it's the alternative kit or the away kit, but the one of the kits will be a kind of forest green kind of color, kind of. For the it, goalkeeper be, or for the team? For the team. So that would oh, be nice. kind of interesting. I, I believe that will probably be more likely the... Uh, the alternative kit, but it kind of is a reminiscent of like the throwback Jersey where it was like white and kind of forest green back in the nineties. It's kind of like one of those throwback kind of things, but man, if Liverpool can get, you know, some big, big moves there where it's, I hope they don't become like the new Barcelona though, low key where it's like the random soccer fan who the casual soccer fan who doesn't really know anything about like these teams like that, the default jersey everyone buys is like a Real Madrid or like Manchester United or a Barcelona jersey. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'm happy about if people just switch it to now Liverpool being like the random casual default I, jersey. It happens. I mean, I <laughs> the mean, bandwagon it, I, jersey basically. I mean, it's happening because I I feel like so many people now know about Liverpool. I mean, if like if you don't really know that much about soccer, you're probably gonna be like, who are the top teams? They're just gonna be like Liverpool, and they're like. Salah or Van Dyke, you know, they're just so popular names now. But uh, that that would be interesting to see. I think Liverpool have definitely turned into a, a superpower again. Uh, but switching gears a little bit to now probably a team that is faltering in sort of the same way Liverpool kind of did now in the early 2000s, in the early 2010s, it was Manchester United uh, completely in a completely in a downfall right now obviously we talked about when they lost to arsenal but things have gotten i would say a little bit worse they drew nil nil uh to wolves in the fa cup and they also got humiliated by manchester city at home three losing three to one um de bruyne basically destroying phil jones and humbling him uh, it's just a very very odd situation right now at manchester united uh, i feel like the amount of lows they've had this season, I feel like this this little part of the season, I feel like this is probably the, it feels like for me, the lowest. Um, just because we're, we've lost Harry Maguire for a little bit. Uh, it seems like he's torn his muscle in his hip. We've lost him. Ashley Young, apparently our captain, uh, reportedly wants to go to Inter Milan and has told the club that he doesn't want to be included in the match day squads at all until he can get his move out. And Jesse Lingard signing with agent Mino Raiola, I believe that's how you say his name. Um, and a lot of people in the Manchester United board don't like that agent because he obviously is the agent of Paul Pogba, but he does like to cause a lot of um, stir up in the media. So it looks like Jesse Lingard could be way out of, could be on his way out. And, you know, if you lose these players, that's great. But if you don't bring in anybody in return, then you're just thinning the squad more. And the squad is already thin to begin with, but Right now, I feel as though this is a 
probably the bleakest time right now of this Manchester United season. Uh, Tyler, how do you feel? How do you judge the atmosphere right now as an outsider, as a Liverpool fan and as an outsider? Mm, for me, it's honestly how I, I kind of see teams like in this kind of downstage differently in terms of most other people where it's like, man, this is definitely not a time to be a supporter. But in my opinion, during these times, it's like it can't get any worse. You know? <laughs> Are you sure? Are you um, sure? If I mean, like, there'll be an up. So, like, sometimes you just have to have the bad times to know when the good times are. And I feel mm-hmm. like this is one of just one of those bad times where, literally, a couple days ago, I just received a text from Yush, you know, you know congratulating <laughs> Liverpool on the Nike deal. And then right after that, he's like, "And then United lose the City three one today, and probably won't sign anyone in January." I'm like, <laughs> that's the epitome of a, of a United fan right now, where it's just everything seems to be going right for the rival and. Nothing right for them, but I mean, right now, I don't really know, despite me being a little optimistic of United's situation, looking at Ole Gunnar's um, reactions just on the sidelines whenever the camera pans to him, whenever United concede a goal or just a bad string of play happens, he's not looking too confident. He's looking like one of those managers that's like, he's kind of not even on the hot seat anymore. It's just like, wins the axe coming down but you know you don't really hear about the potential for Ole Gunnar getting fired it's just like he just has that look you know where it's like impending doom is coming rather than knowing that something good is going to be around the corner like say when you see Klopp manage on the sideline even when you we saw Klopp on the sideline when Liverpool finished that Barcelona Champions League game 3-0 you saw him it's like if we're gonna fail we're gonna fail the next game in the most beautiful way possible. But with Ole Gunnar, you just see it's like, uh, we're, uh, <laughs> we're working on it. <laughs> I mean, uh, but also it's, uh, it's easier when you have a really good squad, but it's also <laughs> harder when you're like, when, if, even if you gave Klopp this squad, he would look at it and be like, man, this is a, this is a pretty bad squad. Especially this when you a- have Phil, when you have Phil Jones starting at center back and then, your only midfielders are Fred and Matic because everyone else is injured. And basically, I like the I like the attackers. Uh, you know, you can't. You know, you I, I really like Martial, Rashford, Greenwood, Dan James. If anything, those have been the brightest spots of this entire season because it seems like no matter how low the season has gotten, those guys have somehow found a way to score goals and make it somewhat exciting to watch and you know give us give United fans some hope of the future. Um, I throw Aaron Juan Basaka in there as well because he's been primarily pretty good this entire season. Obviously, he needs to improve going forward, but he's been a good signing. And then uh, I was really sad to see that Harry Maguire, you know, got injured because, you know, I, I think he gets a lot of stick from United fans a little bit because he's not doing enough to get clean sheets. But honestly, um, the improvement he's made, I guess, to the defense from last season when they were starting like Chris Smalling and Phil Jones or Chris Smalling, Eric Bailly, Chris Smalling, Victor Lindelof. Harry Maguire really added a lot of leadership in that role and has helped, you know, calm things down in a bit and help them not concede as many goals. And when he doesn't play, you can clearly see how much of a dip and how much of a drop off there is sort of like when Laporte you know, goes down for City, how much they struggle defensively. And, and, you know, if Van Dyke goes out for Liverpool, how much they struggle defensively because, you know, you lose your leader. 
And I think, you know, Harry Maguire being out, I think it will show a lot of United fans. Um, it will just give more appreciation to United fans how much of a good player he is. But, I mean, I, I, I don't know what to say. I think, uh, you know what's crazy? I, I saw this stat. Bernardo Silva, I think in the past two games at Old Trafford, has scored more goals than Jesse Lingard um, in the entirety of 2019 when he didn't score and assist the entire season. How crazy <laughs> is that? I mean, because of Jesse Lingard's insanely poor stat, you can put anything in that, in that category. You can be like, Lewis Dunk scored more goals at Old Trafford than Jesse Lingard did the entirety of 2019. It's like little things like that. But, you know, I think also the, the part that plays into Harry Maguire being such a big impact for United or losing him in particular is that the drop off in terms of depth and ability and of the center back position at United is so drastic where when you lose Harry Maguire it's it goes into Lindelof but then it's like after that it's like Phil Jones it's like <laughs> the drop yeah, off and, Eric, and I would say I mean I wish Eric Bailly didn't get hurt as much because I feel like Eric Bailly has the potential of being a good a decent center back but he just gets hurt too much um, but one thing that does, all right, I, I would ask you this, you know, as an outsider, what do you think, uh, United need to do? Because there's a report out there that, um, Solskjaer firmly believes that he needs at least six new signings to, um, not, not in this window, but, you know, in the next summer window, or even in this window, plus the next summer window to really make a difference in this squad. And I firmly believe he needs even more than that because there's just too much dead wood still around and there's not enough quality left in this squad. But if you, as an outsider, what would you say some plan of action there needs to be to kind of get this ship back on the right trajectory? Right now, I don't think... United in a position where if you slot in like a superstar into the squad, that it'll instantly change everything. Kind of like how when you put Van Dyke into Liverpool, like the whole defense just like activated. It's just like, whoa, there's a defense now. I think right <laughs> I think right now, United have to kind of build and kind of restart because I mean, and that's what they've kind of been doing this whole season so far, where they're building off some youth players such as Scott McTominay, Daniel Jones. Or Daniel James, sorry. And mm-hmm. then, you know, the introduction of, you know, having Rashford be the main man in the striking position and having, you know, Mason Greenwood as well. But I think that's the right direction rather than just bring in, like, say, Christian Eriksen or it's like another random, really good player, like, say, Luka Modric, where, you know, they will bring leadership, they will bring ability, but it's just like, I don't think that's the right direction. Manchester United should take in terms of, you know, trying to rebuild and trying to make a foundation because that's kind of like putting a band-aid over the main problem where it's like, all right, these players have the ability to get us results every once in a while, but, you know, overall, we're not going to be winning any trophies because of them, just them. Like, they can't mm-hmm. just carry the entire team to get us a trophy. So I think what they really need to do right now is just develop these players to have a strong foundation and eventually bring in some depth because, you know, Daniel James, if he doesn't turn out to be the star player that he's projected to be, then at least he'll have, he's at least a decent enough player to come off the bench and, you know, make an impact. And mm-hmm. that's kind of like what you saw in Liverpool where it's like, you know, Adam Milani, he was a starting player for a long time, but then eventually there were players that came in 
that had more ability and like had more to bring to the team and like made the team a little bit more dynamic. And that's when you saw Genie Wanaldum kind of take over from him. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what United need to do. And they just need to invest in one of those, you know, up and coming players that could be that main building block into what the future United could be. And I feel like they missed out this past summer transfer window on those kind of key players like Matthias Delic, Joao Felix, and, you know, just like players like that where they would be big money moves, but at the same time, they have so much to develop where you will give United can give them the time to develop and also like the starting position consistently and also with that team around them to really build and develop together rather than just slotting them in. It's like, all right, let's just see if, you know, an impact happens because I feel like United has been doing that way too often with, you know, Di Maria, Falcao, Alexis Sanchez. So right now I think this is the right step. Although you're not getting the results, I think it's the right move. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think also a bigger problem is that the board at Manchester United, a lot of fans and just neutrals are saying that even former players have said that the board is just rotten. Like everything is just rotten from the core, from the top. And that's why in you're coming when you're funneling all the way to the bottom by like where you see the team performances. That's why it's been so bad for every manager uh, past Sir Alex Ferguson because the board is so bad at what they do. I mean, Ed Woodward, I mean, everyone says it, but it's so true. I mean, the guy's a businessman. He's not He's not a director of football. He's not a football guy. He hasn't played the game before. He's not a former pro. He doesn't really know you know, a lot of the intricacies that go on when it comes to building a football squad and building an actual team. And a lot of United fans such as me are super upset because, you know, it's so obvious that they just need someone that's solely focused on building the team and getting the right players in and working with the manager and getting the right type of players in. Because Solskjaer talks about that all the time. We got to get the right players in that fit the culture and everything. That's great. But if you don't have a board that's really smart enough to get those players, I think that's I think that's the probably the biggest problem. And I know like they changed their scouting network to kind of help reflect that. But I believe that when it comes to the actual decisions on the pitch, I feel like they, there needs to be a separation of power from the board from, okay, Ed Woodward can handle all the business dealings because we've seen he's an excellent businessman because United still as much as they struggle, they still bring in huge profits each year by sponsorships and all the other deals they sign. He can do that and he can continue to do that, but there needs to be a separate guy out there that just focuses on building the squad, building the team and making the product on the pitch really attractive and really good so that, you know, it even brings even more money. But that's what I believe. And that's what a lot of United fans are calling out. But it's so frustrating. I, I can feel for like Newcastle fans. We don't have it as bad. But when you really have a bad a bad group of owners, I mean, the Glazers are pretty bad owners. When you have a bad group of owners and bad upper board management, it's so terrible. I mean, it's probably one of the worst feelings as a, as a sports fan when you feel like the people that should be in charge of making the club good aren't doing their job correctly and are just kind of cheating the fans out for a quick buck. I feel like that's what a lot of United fans are feeling. They feel like they're being cheated out um, of a good performance or a good product because the people that are owning the club and the upper board only really care about the money that's going in their pockets. But, you know, it's just a frustrating feeling as a fan to feel that. Do you feel 
I mean, I mean, there's just no way you can actually change that as a fan. I mean, we can complain all we want, but at the end of the day, if there's still owners and boards, I mean, they're still going to be the owners at the end of the day, unless they decide to sell. Mm-hmm. And I will say that the position United are in are not as bad as Newcastle's. Yeah, like, no, I definitely <laughs> agree. I would, I'm not trying to like draw like like for like comparisons, but I'm saying mm-hmm. like in a way, you, you know, when you have bad owners, a bad owner, a bad management, it really just sucks the life and the fun out of watching the team, you know? Mm-hmm. And this is probably the most business, business-like and business-related episode that we've had so far. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I mean, it is a money kind of game. It is a business in the end, like a sports industry business, owning a squad, owning a team, and a franchise like this, such a big name. So I think the main difference between, say, Manchester United and other teams is that it just doesn't really look like they have a set plan where, you know, before, before the season, they didn't have like a director of football and, you know, many other traditional or many uh, modern positions that you see in teams now of say Liverpool, Tottenham, Chelsea before Manchester United were very traditional. So I think they're still transitioning in the back room as well. I think that's why, you know, Manchester United are just struggling to really compete with the other Premier League teams right now. I mean, you know, they're still in the top half of the table and you're just not getting the big results that you you would typically see from a Manchester United side. But I think if they just have a set plan and really kind of stick to it, then they can really rebound. But right now it's just not looking like they have a plan. They're just trying to catch up to the modern build of what, running a big club like this should be because they're just they're so used to having success that now just having to transition they're just facing all the backlash and just like the collateral damage from having to move such a huge object like they are now into this new spot i think Mm -hmm. that's what's going on yeah i i definitely agree i think it's just a lack of Lack of actual knowledge of how how to build a team. But I want to ask you a little fun question here, transitioning away from the business side. But uh, Jesse Lingard, obviously, we all know, really poor, really bad season, and overall just kind of just not that good of a player. I wanted to know, who is your Liverpool equivalent back when they were struggling uh, to find some form back in the day? Who is your Liverpool equivalent of Jesse Lingard? I would say Fabio Barini. <laughs> it's that one <laughs> random player that the manager just loves to play. And you <laughs> never really get the goal in meaningful games, at least. And there is a lot of hype around this one player, like Fabio Barini, from just one person in particular, which is <laughs> Brendan Rodgers. But he never really blossomed to be the player that Brendan Rodgers hoped he would be. And even when he got loan to Sunderland and AC Milan eventually he he still didn't really get any you know significant goals or really made anything more of himself rather than like if you were to compare him to like say his FIFA his FIFA stats it's just like he was literally that base 75 gold card it's like he was just that the entire time he never really showed signs of improving to be you know, the next big player or even like a decent starting player for Liverpool. It's just like one of those players mm-hmm. that just like you just kept hoping the manager just kept hoping that he'd, you know, eventually adapt to Premier League, you know, yeah. and fulfill a potential that he saw in him. But 
he just never became that player. And yeah. Jesse Lingard, we're kind of seeing the same thing in him where it's like he's just starting for England at times and then he was starting for Manchester United consistently. He just was not I mean, getting anything for him. He had a really good World Cup. I just don't know what happened to this dude. <laughs> so in that sense, Lingard doing better than Barini already there. But <laughs> I don't know. It's just a weird case. Like how bad. I just I just don't understand how his drop off can happen like that. But Anyways, that's that's definitely United. Um, some bi- other news surrounding the Premier League. Aston Villa actually acquired a midfielder on loan from Burnley, Danny Drinkwater. Uh, as we all know, he was part of that famous Leicester, Leicester City title-winning squad. Was a big component in the midfield for them. A uh, big player for them. Obviously, he got a big money move to Chelsea. When he was at Chelsea, didn't really play regularly. Hasn't really been the same since making that move to Chelsea. Has been in and out of starting lineups. Hasn't been consistent. Do you feel, as with this move to Aston Villa, do you feel like he was one of those players in that Leicester squad that we've seen that just really performed out of his way um, that season and is now kind of returning to the player that he's not not to sound mean, but maybe his true level within the Premier League? Mm, Kind of like plateauing in terms of like ability. For Danny Drinkwater, I think it was more a case of he was a very good partner with N'Golo Kante when he was at Leicester. It was just like a match made in heaven right there where, you know, when you when you have N'Golo Kante on the team, you didn't know it at the time, but N'Golo Kante is like one of the best players in the world. And he still currently is, in my opinion. And when you pair most people with, N'G- with N'Golo Kante, you're going to look good and for Danny Drinkwater in particular, it was just that he had the ability and he just had that chemistry with Conte where he just made every everything just worked. And that's why little things like that is why Leicester won that season where everything just kind of clicked for that team. And also everyone else just did very poorly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Danny Drinkwater, it was just one of those things where whenever he, even when you see him at Chelsea, when he was there, he didn't have his partner. He didn't have Conte with him. So he didn't perform how he did at Lester and I feel like not having Conte is why I'm not saying he was very reliant on him to do well but because he had him that's why he was elevated so high in terms of his ability and why Chelsea ended up taking him from Lester mm-hmm. but without a player like Conte I would say that's why Danny Drinkwater hasn't been really performing as well mm-hmm. as well because and- you know you need that compliment this you kind of see that with Fred and McTominay at Manchester United you need that compliment and yeah. Danny Drinkwater needs that, and he hasn't had that since he's moved from Leicester. No, I, I agree too, and I also feel like you know when you that Leicester side they played very counterattacking play, so you know all you had to do is kind of soak up the pressure, stop you know stop the opponent, and then hit a long ball to Vardy. But when you move to a team like Chelsea, you're expected to play more with the ball, be more you know more expressive, get your you know get the goals, get the assists, and that really wasn't his game. Danny Drinkwark moved to Aston Villa on loan. But another surprising move, a person returning to the Premier League as being signed from Sheffield United as a free agent is Jock Rodwell. Really interesting move here because uh, Chris Wilder said that his team is basically back to full health and he'll have like a full squad depth, you know, going into the going into this weekend. So um, I thought this was pretty interesting. I know Jack Rodwell. Um it wasn't wasn't the best of players, but do you feel like this was just kind of a add depth, or do you kind of see him actually strategically being played in the Premier League this season? 
I think this is a depth kind of move because Jack Rodwell, he was a free agent mm-hmm. going into this signing. And I think that's why Sheffield picked him up because he does have Premier League experience. And low key, that's kind of a big mm-hmm. thing to have in terms of Sheffield in this position. Because although they're doing really well, much better than expectations were in prior going into the season, they need to maintain and stay where they are. And having players like Jack Rodwell, who's been there, done that with, you know, with Everton, Sunderland, and he was at Man City, City, right? Yeah, he's at City as well. Yeah. So like he's been in the Premier League. He's been there, done that, although not very well. <laughs> at least he- <laughs> low key rose right there. You know, he's been on the big teams mm-hmm. and he's seen what he knows what it takes to keep a Premier League team in the Premier League and also what the standards are. So I think this was a very clever move from Sheffield. Although it was clever, it is slightly risky because, you know, it's not that far-fetched to see Jack Rodwell not in the Premier League for a few seasons now. It's like he he did drop off. Yeah, but it's like, a, I it's like I, I feel like it's one of those moves like it's, uh, you know, if he does well, that's awesome. But if he doesn't do well, it's not that big of a risk because you didn't pay anything for him. It's a free agent. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, if he doesn't work out, then just drop him again and mm-hmm. find someone else. But Yep. It's a very interesting move. And I would say another big news regarding the top six, you know, the quote-unquote top six teams in the Premier League, Tottenham striker Harry Kane um, reported now is out till April with a ruptured tendon in his hamstring. The injury is obviously worse um, than originally expected. And for Jose Mourinho, this is a big news because we've seen that his the defense for Tottenham hasn't really improved from the start of start of the season and he's still struggling to find the perfect defense and getting them more organized and getting more you know clean sheets back there and due to that they've had to score more than one goal to win games and without Harry Kane their number one striker we've seen in the past how much you know the team could struggle i mean they they have son obviously but you know he's obviously got the red card suspension and all that but this is a huge knock for Spurs, especially if they wanted to make a run in the Champions League. I feel like this really does hamper their um, ambitions a little bit. And the question now is, do they bring in a new striker or do they play Lucas Moura, Youngman's son at striker instead? Because this is a big decision for Jose Mourinho to make because... You know, Hyungman's son, Jose Mourinho, loves having him on the wing since he's one of those players that will track back and, you know, mm-hmm. do the dirty work. And, you know, Mourinho, of course, loves having his players track back historically. Yeah. A little bit this season. <laughs> <laughs> so, and for Lucas Mora, he did have a short stint last season where he did really well as striker, like temporarily when Harry Kane was out. But I don't see more as a long-term option for striker because he's not a finisher he is a player that can create chances and he's also small which is not not very not a good thing when you're a premier league striker you have some physical physicality in Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. and also yeah as you just mentioned premier league is a very physical physically demanding uh, demanding league and in terms of that when you face like a team like say Burnley when all the Jeez. defenders are trying to kill you <laughs> you need <laughs> you need a striker who can have the strength to hold off a six foot three center back who's just like sitting on top of you mm-hmm. well you know Lucas Mora no knock on him for being you know my height <laughs> but you know 
he won't have as much hold of play ability and he will kind of change how Spurs will go into attacks where, you know, with Harry Kane, you can hold up play and, you know, take a shot from outside mm-hmm. the box of Lucas Moore. He has the pace to run past the defense, but he won't have that same ability that Harry Kane will have. And changing the structure of how you build up play and go into attacks, that will definitely change how Spurs will get results in the mm-hmm. second half of the season, unless they get a player like Christoph Piatek from AC Milan, a player they've been linked with, who... He is basically he's not Harry Kane, of course, and he's not <laughs> he's not having a great season so far of only four goals and 17 appearances for AC Milan. But last season, he was doing really well for Genoa. And also when he moved mid, let's say January transfer window to AC Milan, he was still doing pretty well, but he's just kind of dropped off since mm-hmm. then. But he does have the same kind of hold of play abilities as, say, a Harry Kane would have in terms of being kind of the bigger kind of player, you know, above six feet tall and you know, he, he has that kind of finisher mentality where, mm-hmm. you know, everyone else on Spurs currently is more of the player who will kind of make their own chances where Harry Kane will finish chances. Yeah. So it'll the, be interesting to see what Spurs do and what they decide. Yeah, I remember uh, there was a point in time when Pochettino was still manager, when Kane got injured. I mean, it seems like he gets injured almost every season with something where he's out for an extended period of time. I remember they put Son in as striker and he basically was on fire. I mean, he basically was scoring every game and he was unstoppable. But Pochettino and Mourinho, obviously, we know, play totally two different styles of football and how they want to play. And I feel like if you go for a Lucas Moore or Son as your striker, you have to play more quicker so they can have a chance to get in behind the defense from a through ball and, and other things of that nature. But if they decide to stick one of those guys up front, it does leave a position open on the wings and a player I've been seeing on, you know, just scrolling through the Tottenham Twitter. There really are big fans of uh, Giovanni Lo Celso. Obviously he's the Argentinian winger. Whenever he has come on, a lot of uh, the Tottenham fans have said that he's done well and I've seen it and like he has made a difference him and Eric Lamella. So we could see an introduction of those two guys back in the starting 11 because with Mourinho coming in, we haven't seen, uh, Lo Celso or Lamella, Lamella being, you know, really thrust into the starting 11. They've kind of played more of the bench roles. So with those two guys, we may see a introduction to them back in the starting 11 if they try to go for the Mora Sun uh, lineup as striker. But it's very interesting because, you know, they had Fernando Llorente and they decided to let him go. And, you know, they've had... They've tried to bring in, I feel like, a backup, a pure backup striker to Harry Kane. But a lot of times it hasn't worked out as well as they expect because the team is so centered around Harry Kane that sometimes when he's out, I don't really know how this Tottenham team reacts, but it's going to be very interesting to see how Tottenham rebound from this and whether uh, we're really going to see the best of Mourinho here. If we can really get the most out of the squad without arguably their best player in Harry Kane, um, one of the Mm -hmm. top strikers in Europe, but for Lo Celso, he's, you know, he is a center defensive mid or like center mid that is playing a lot higher in the team every time he gets, I see him subbed in. But also there is a, another player on that Tottenham squad that he was bought from Fulham and he started a few games in the FA Cup and Carabao Cup, Ryan Sessing Young. Yep. He played left back for Fulham and also left wing so he can play anywhere on the left side and I feel like this is a good opportunity for him as well to possibly get some meaningful minutes in the squad when they really need to bring out the depth. And, you know, Ryan Sessing Young, he is one of those players that 
He's one of those up and coming stars for England. And he hasn't really played at all this season because of injury. But now with this opening in the squad and with the high competitive nature that Tottenham now sees himself in, which is kind of weird to say, <laughs> it's it's a good test for Sessignon to really show if he's the real deal. Yep. Because, you know, there were a lot of teams looking into him and he had a lot of options and he ended up going with Spurs. So we'll be we'll we'll have to see. Cause you know, there are other options for Spurs with mm-hmm. Lacelso, Lamella. Lamella I feel like would be the more natural choice since he is a winger, of course, and you know, a few seasons ago, he was one of the big breakout players. It's like, oh, Tottenham bought him for 30 million pounds from Roma. It's like, this is going to be a, a huge player for them. But, you know, since then, he's kind of just been no growth. He's just been like kind of the same kind of player the entire time. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Barini, but just a little <laughs> bit better than him. <laughs> oh, yeah. It, it would definitely be interesting. I feel like Ryan Sension, his name that kind of got forgotten. And I wonder how much of a role Pochettino played in him wanting to sign for uh, Tottenham because we saw with Pochettino he wasn't afraid to you know promote youth if they saw if he saw that they were doing well but obviously he's not there anymore Mourinho's there but that kind of we want to kind of transition into the preview section now obviously there's the this weekend Premier League games are back um, and the first one I'm going to pick out is Manchester United versus Norwich United hosting Norwich at Old Trafford I'm very interested in this game because it has been a bad couple of weeks for United. It seems like anything that's been written about them or anything I see on Twitter has just been completely negative, purely bad. And then, you know, I can't blame them because they have been poor and have been bad. The results against Arsenal Wolves and City have been pretty poor. Be very interesting to see how they handle a Norwich side that are struggling themselves. Um, I, I don't know. This game, the way it's just set out to be, I honestly... I know this sounds bad, but I wouldn't be surprised if Norwich actually win 1-0. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> it's been Holy that cow. bad. This is the voice of a man who's just lost all faith in his team. <laughs> it, it's but... funny because Tyler always joked. He's like, it's going to happen to you one day. I was like, ah, it's never going to happen. <laughs> you just lose all faith. <laughs> We're literally, I feel for Yush because, you know, just a few seasons ago, all you wanted as a Liverpool fan is just like, I just want a game where the team just really passes the ball well. Like, really basic things. It's like, man, I hope we just keep a clean sheet. I hope we score. Like, little things like that. I just hope for a good, beautiful game. But, you know, now you can be a little bit more selfish and ask for results. But, you know, once you're in Yesh's bottom of the barrel kind of mentality, it's like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I don't expect a clean sheet. I expect a mistake to happen. Uh, I expect. I don't want. I don't want an own goal. <laughs> oh gosh! Please, please, no Pereira and Fred in the midfield, please. But for me, I'm a little bit more optimistic <laughs> for United because they're facing an even worse Norwich side. Is that even possible Norwich, to say? <laughs> Norwich is on the bottom of the team, man. They're or bottom of the league. They're literally dead last, dude. But and come on, if, if Phil Jones is starting. Timo Puki against Phil Jones. Pukki's just going to like roll it in. He's the- out. He's out of injury. Oh, really? So like, they don't even have him. <laughs> oh, wow. I will say, though, they gained a striker, Adam, let's say it's Ida or Ida, and he scored a hat trick against Preston North End. Although oh, Preston man. North End is not the same as Manchester United, of course. But for a player to be on fire in form against the United side who's as you can see from Yush's reaction, kind of in poor form. 
I could see Norwich actually getting a result, but I don't see him winning. But I see a 1-1 draw, and it will be a big result for Norwich, but a poor result, of course, <laughs> for Manchester United. And uh, it's going to send Josh into further into the abyss of purgatory. Of purgatory <laughs> and despair that he's currently in right it, now. It was funny. <laughs> it was really funny because uh, apparently David Moy, David Moyes and West Ham. Um, David Boys. <laughs> yeah, David Boys were interested in signing Marwan Fellaini and bringing him back in the Premier League. And literally, it was funny. I clicked on the link. I clicked on the Twitter Twitter thread for it. And there was some United fan. He was like, 90th minute winner against us. It's written in the stars. I'm like, yep, that's probably going to happen. <laughs> if that happens, oh my gosh. happens <laughs> that day. <laughs> check up on me. Just to check up on my boy. Oh, man. It's <laughs> dark, like, man. Dark, it happened. Dark times, dark times. But um, moving on to the next game, we have Crystal Palace versus Arsenal. Uh, very interesting game because Arsenal, obviously, in the Premier League, beat Manchester United, were so good. I mean, the pressing, the play, I mean, every everything was so good for them. How do they bounce back going to Selhurst Park, you know, not facing, you know, one of the big six opponents, but Crystal Palace, that atmosphere is obviously very crazy and very rowdy and then you have to you know perform and go up against a Andre Ayu and a Wilfred Zaha who are currently both in pretty good form I would say how does Arsenal defense stack up to that and how do they generally just play and handle the atmosphere there uh because of you know I I think because of the Manchester United result how good it was I think they can roll into Selhurst Park and get a 2-1 win I feel like Aubameyang, Lacazette could probably get on the score sheet if they keep up that same. It, it all depends on if they can keep up that same energy and same pressing. Hmm. Crystal Palace in the past five games, if either they scored one goal or no goals, or you know against West Ham they did score two, but majority of other games they can rarely score. And of course they lost Christian Benteke to injury during the holiday holiday season, if that's the right way to put it, but. <laughs> You know, as we mentioned, Selhurst Park is one of those places where anything could happen. And Crystal Palace at home are just a whole different squad. I think it's because they have cheerleaders. They have literally people who can hype up the crowd <laughs> differently. <laughs> so maybe that's why the atmosphere is like that. But for Arsenal, under Mikel Arteta, he I've only seen them on the rise. Although it hasn't been that many games, I feel like Arsenal are doing a lot better. And they're just only going to keep getting better. So, I wouldn't be surprised if I see Arsenal going to Selhurst Park despite all the praise we've just given Crystal Palace and then, you know, Arsenal come out with a 2-0 victory. And that's oh, what wow. I see. You don't even see them conceding a goal? Yep. I, I know it's crazy to hear Arsenal not conceding, but based on how I've seen them defend in the past few games as well, it's just been so structured and so... like They've been so quick to cut down attacks before they even happen like it's something i haven't really seen from arsenal in a while and i've been pretty impressed by that so i think arsenal can keep a clean sheet against the crystal palace side that hasn't really been scoring too many goals recently so yep say 2-0 that's a that's a big result we both call in arsenal wins there and then finally biggest game of the weekend tottenham versus liverpool i wish i didn't hear this harry kane news for tottenham because i in a weird way i was kind of leaning towards uh, Tottenham winning this game because obviously Mourinho I feel like still hasn't won that big match in the Premier League yet as Tottenham manager lost against Manchester United uh, lost against Chelsea against his former player Frank Lampard 
I really felt like, you know, before I heard this Harry Kane news, I really felt like they could have, you know, at home, Mourinho, you know, this is playing the best team in the Premier League and the best team in Europe. Mourinho loves these matchups. You know, he loves finding weaknesses in, in the team. And I would love to see, I mean, I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching like the chess battle here, what, what Mourinho decides to do against Klopp and what Klopp kind of puts out against Tottenham and Mourinho's side. But with this Harry Kane news, I feel like it's going to add a little bit of a sour taste in the camp of Tottenham. And unfortunately, Mourinho, in my opinion, will have to wait another game until he gets another big matchup to get probably his first big win in the Premier League. So I'm going to go for Liverpool winning 2-1. Ooh. I also see Liverpool winning this game, but every time Liverpool face Jose Mourinho, I feel like Jose Mourinho just likes to set up shop. However, this is a different game because he does not have a good defense. <laughs> so if he sets up shop, he is ultimately playing for impending doom. He's he's ultimately playing to eventually concede a goal because they probably will with this defense that they currently have. So I think Mourinho has no choice but to attack, but... He's very conservative of a manager, and I, it's kind of a out out of character play. I would say if you see Mourinho try to go all in against Liverpool, mm-hmm. go all out attack. I would say so. I think this is gonna be, a, despite everything I just said about you know Spurs having a poor defense, I think he'll still try to rely on the defense this game and go for you know a scrappy nil nil or one zero. But I think Liverpool in the end will win. 1-0. Usually this game is very high scoring and very exciting, but you know it's a lot different with Mourinho at the helm. So I think it's gonna be a 1-0 win for Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, that that this game will be really fun to watch the chess match. As I said before, we're both calling Liverpool wins. Uh, so it's something you keep out, keep keep on the watch for. But that is the end for us for episode 58. Thank you guys so much for listening. Please make sure to rate, comment, subscribe. It was a bit of a different type of format we had. Not really going through the games because of the FA Cup and Carabao Cup, but more going through the topics in the January transfer window. So a bit of a change up, but it was nice. But once again, thank you guys so much for listening. Please make sure to tell us what you like, what you don't like. And yeah, that kind of does it for us in this episode. Peace. Peace.